Hi, we're the Lexington Podcast. We are all things Lexington, Kentucky. History, true crime, current events, and local recommendations. Glad you're here, y'all. I recently stumbled across a um, HBO (laughs) (laughs) show called Seduced to Slay, sis. You were on a television show on HBO. I was so proud of you, man. You did a good job, too. I mean, go into that. Like, how'd that even work? How how are you recruited for that? And like, I guess it was just your expertise on that that case. I don't really know. I think that Investigation Discovery, which is a offshoot of the Discovery Channel. And if you're a real true Mm. crime fan, then you generally know Investigation Discovery. They're known for these shows that are about an hour long and they cover a case and it's, you know, very true crime centered. Yeah. And so a producer from investigation discovery reached out about how we had covered in our season two, the Turpin murder, the Michael Turpin murder of 1986. And he said, would you like to be on a show that we're doing for it? And because we've, you know, looked into your podcast and there's going to be other podcasters and Lexingtonians there too. And you, you know, we, we'd like to pull from. You said sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, how much money? And he was like, none, none at all. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> and I was like, no problem. Good hearty pat on the back. <laughs> yes. So I handed over the, he was like, well, do you have any transcripts to your podcast? And I was like, no, not really, but I have all my scripts, you know, that I've written. And so I handed that over and he used our podcast for the skeleton of the show or like the outline of the show, which was really neat. That's super cool. Yeah. And then had me on and I was like a complete nervous wreck the whole time. You so, didn't seem it. You didn't seem it. Well, I do by the end of the show. So they, they if, must have edited off the sweat on your, like, yeah, they must have. Yeah. And just like the, the paper bag that I was like <laughs> hyperventilating, <laughs> hyperventilating into. Oh, that's really, you really good. killed it though. Honestly, I'm, I appreciate For that. anyone listening. Go check it out. Yeah. It was, it's called seduced to slay. And it's on HBO right now, and it is season one and episode eight. And I'll put um, a mention to this and maybe a link in our show notes. So if you were to go to the show notes of our podcast right now, I'll be sure to put in there how to, how to get to it. But it was, uh, I mean, I didn't know it was going to be on HBO. I thought it was going to live forever in some like niche area of the internet. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the producer, who's like the nicest guy ever, and he's the one that I dealt with throughout the whole process, he texts me on a random... Because keep in mind, we filmed it back in like September. And so he texts me on like a random January blustery winter afternoon and is like, hey, you're on HBO. And I was like, Check it out. what? <laughs> so what was funny about it is that you know, I thought I'd be like flown out to California. Oh, you, you, know? you dummy. Yeah, I know. You, you goober. <laughs> I had like these like high expectations of what it would be like. It or sure looked least... like it though. It looked like it was the production. No, was they amazing. did a really great job. I thought the production did really well. What was interesting about it is that they, the way those shows work is that they figure out a case that's usually like all obviously centered in some town. They find some local, you know, experts or people that are pretty knowledgeable about the case itself that are also from that town. Mm. And then they hire a production team. So like a camera crew from that town as well 
and then they rent an Airbnb in that town. So they have the production crew, they have the the locals, and then they have the house itself all in one town. Well, the actual production company is in California. That's where I was sending, like writing a release and like, you know, signing stuff all went out to Hollywood. But the producer himself is from Maryland. And they figured out, he told me they figured out during COVID that the producer, who's the one who's like asking you all these questions that you're answering while you're on being filmed, does not have to fly out to all of these different places. He can just zoom into these interviews. How very convenient. So I showed up to a historic Airbnb in downtown Lexington and to like four camera dudes. And I sit down at a table and Chip, the producer that I was working with, is sitting across the table from me, but on a laptop, zooming in. So that whole time I'm talking in that show, I'm talking to a laptop. No way. Yeah, which was kind of funny. Yeah, I, I want to ask you specifically, also, like, you know, you you really are a uh, expert and authority on that case, on that, on the uh, turbine. I wouldn't say expert, but I mean, I, I most definitely would. And compared to what you you know more than anyone I know. So the, the my question would be, how well do you think that documentary did? Um, told the story from from your eyes um it's a really good question i think that they did a pretty good job with the amount of time that they had they only had one hour and it's an involved case yeah you know it was an it was it took a year and a half a ton of moving parts in that so many moving parts so many different dynamics of the characters themselves and I think they did as best they could for what they had. It was really obvious that their angle was seduction and how, right. which was the angle that, of the book that we covered on that. I mean, that's the angle that a, that the news loves to Sex take, sells, right? of course. Right. So it was a little more nuanced than all that, but they just didn't have time to go about it. Fair as enough. usual, Keith was only brought up, you know, one to two times even though he's the one who does all the stabbing, he right. actually kills Michael. Again, he's like this giant afterthought, and they focus super heavily on the Karen and the Elizabeth relationship. And I've always been more like, no, 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 we need to really focus on Keith as well. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like you guys, they they, they tried, and it was... Oh, oh, I have to tell you this. Okay. And I wanted to tell our listeners as well. We have been nominated for best podcast by smiley pete publishing here in lexington right on yes and so i don't know it's really cool like i didn't even know some of the other podcasts that are in our category so my favorite part of it is now i have all these new local podcasts that i get to go listen to Mm. but i was gonna say if anybody would like to vote for us we would be so honored we would be very very um, appreciative because if they publish that and we win, then it gets more listeners to the podcast, which means we get to grow and like really great things get to happen from that. So yeah, get, to, um, get to get to do it more. Yeah, exactly. You have the freedom to be able to produce more episodes, get better equipment, mm-hmm. et cetera. So if you would like to vote for us, my gosh, that would be awesome. Please do so. Please, please. And we, I will put also information to that in today's show notes as well. So it's the Smiley Pete Publishing Company, which is the company that handles the ch- the free magazine magazines that are around lexington they handle um crave food festival oh no kidding yeah and so they have like the chevy chaser and the south cider you know you could see them at like bagel shops and stuff so <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a it's a great little publication and uh, we're honored to be nominated fantastic so, yeah so why don't we hop back into savannah spurlock this is our second episode on savannah And a lot has happened and a lot will continue to happen throughout this case. Sounds good. We last left off where Savannah and David are kind of going shot for shot. 
They're both very intoxicated. Isaac and Brian are about to leave. And what's interesting is that days after this had happened, the police very quickly zero in on these three dudes as suspects. They interview them all separately, of course, as you do. And their stories, for the most part, really match up. And whether or not they had gotten together to make sure that they matched up or not is anybody's guess. But I do know that the police are pretty great at making you back up and re-explain things and trying to catch you and stuff and asking the same things over and over in different ways. Like, they're good at trying to figure that out. They were good at that. The Kentucky State Police? Oh, definitely. In this specific case. Oh, for sure. They weren't convinced of their innocence yet. Oh, they knew that one of, I think, obviously, they knew one of them was at fault because she never exited the house. So they right. knew it was between the three of them. But they had a good story. So that's something to balance out. Right? Yeah. Um, to put it as lightly as possible, they, all three guys admitted that they had assumed that they would take Savannah back there and maybe one of them would get lucky. And so they were partying and hanging out and she's kind of dancing around and all of this. And they would each try to kind of get lucky with her, you know, maybe kissing on her, this and that. And it turned out very quickly that she was not able. She's just too drunk. She's just too drunk. And so she essentially passes out. She goes to her, to the bedroom and they word for word, moment by moment, describe the same as each other about the events of like, okay, we first take her to the bedroom. She sits down. One of us goes in there to like check on her and try stuff with her. Doesn't really work out. So then they, she asks for a cigarette. So we go back out into the living room and have a cigarette. Then some more music happens. Then another shot happens. And then she goes back into the, so there's this like dance that's sort of happening and they're claiming word for word, chronologically, they're all in sync. It's with, all adding up. It's all adding up between their three versions. But what's interesting is that we're dealing with three very different people. That's hard to happen. Like people think, oh, just get your story straight. It's harder than it sounds it, to have right. three people's stories straight. So. Right. I mean, the truth is really what people can, it, you only really, really remember the truth. If you're telling lies, it's hard to remember the lies that you've told. Uh-huh. I think, I think that's pretty sound. Well, that's an interesting component to the story, truly. Cause yeah. so they're, they're seemingly they're telling the truth so far. So the police, especially the Kentucky state police really zero in on Isaac. Remember Isaac is the one whose car it is. It's his pathfinder that Savannah traveled in from Lexington to Lancaster. That's okay? why that's why they're zeroing on. Correct. It, they're car. they're like if maybe something happened to her in that car because they don't have video surveillance of that car, then maybe that had kind of like started to spin whatever had happened inside of the house. And then also maybe she walked out with them though. They have a very clear shot with that ring camera, the neighbor's ring camera that she never left the house. But keep in mind it's winter and it's five thirty AM when Isaac and Brian leave. And so it's dark, it's super dark, but they still have a clear shot of who's left and who hasn't. So they zero in on Isaac nevertheless. So according to Sergeant Shavies's detective Shavies um, notes on this, he says the interview with Isaac, the owner of the Pathfinder, one of the guys, was approximately an hour and a half long. During this time, Isaac provided his account for what took place from the time he left work on January 3rd, came into contact with Savannah, and ultimately claims to have last seen her when he and Brian 
left Savannah at David's residence in Lancaster. Still alive. Still alive. He further stated that Savannah rode to David's residence with him and Brian in his Nissan Pathfinder. He denied cleaning up any evidence that she was harmed or that a body was transported in his vehicle. Mm. So here's the thing about Isaac. Isaac is an interesting suspect. He is... That's a pseudonym, right? Correct. That is a pseudonym. This is not his real name. Don't go Googling the word Isaac for this Right. Case. But here's the thing. If you really want to know his real name, you can easily find it through this case file. It's through respect because he's not He was not, right in now. the end, considered guilty. And no. the news does not use his real name. And so, for whatever reason, they're not doing that. I'm going to do the same thing because I'm sure they have some sort of legal team. We live in America. You're innocent until you're proven guilty. Right. Right. Not everything he did at that house was innocent. Let me go ahead and say that right now. Sure, I do not sure. approve of everything that Isaac and Brian did. They also left her, as they claim, and then she goes missing. So there's a, I find a lot of fault with Isaac and Brian. Fair. But let's go ahead and talk about them like as people. As There's lots of pieces to this. Interview. Yeah, yeah. So People are people, and they shouldn't be, you know, it's... Well, I'm I'm trying to tread lightly here, because you can do some really messed up things that lead... It's kind of a theme in this case. I mean, she's Savannah's got friends that leave her at the bar. Savannah's got guys that don't treat her very well at a house and then leave her at that house. And then she ends up disappearing and being murdered. There were multiple opportunities for people to do the right thing. And several people didn't. And yet it's it wasn't their fault of what happened. They were not necessarily held responsible for her death. It led to it and so it's a gray area you know i mean if isaac or brian were ever listening to this i think they would know and they would admit not everything they did that night was if they could go back they would redo some things certainly certainly so i'm not saying anything that i would hope they wouldn't know about that but at the same time like i'm just here's i'm just gonna stick to facts i'm gonna stick to what what they say in their interviews and what's written down in this case file and our listeners can and can make their own conjectures perfect yeah perfect so isaac is soft-spoken he's kind of withholding he's reserved to the police to the police in his interviews. Um, it's super obvious that he's a bit nervous. Um, he stumbles over his words a little bit. But then again, you can also tell like, he's not a super articulate person necessarily. So it might be kind of like just who he is. At one point, the detectives ask, would David do something to her? Is David the type of guy to harm someone? Mm. And Isaac says, no, he's not without, without hesitation. He's not the type of guy. And then when detectives push him a little bit more and they say, okay, so who would be most likely to do something out of the three of you? Like who would have the most opportunity? What do you, and they're, they're, they're pushing him to, to make some conjecture. He chose to answer that yeah, question. Yeah, so here's the thing. So let me back up for just a second. Originally when the police wanted to talk to him, he wanted to lawyer up later on. They have a search warrant and they, they, impound his pathfinder basically for evidence and he wants that pathfinder back so they're like well listen it'll go a lot easier with you if you're willing to talk with it with your lawyer like let us call your lawyer let's figure this out together and then he says well actually i've looked into it i can't i don't know if i can afford a lawyer right now i'm working on figuring that out and then they go that's no problem you are allowed a public defender can we get a public defender for you and then he's like no actually like i i know i've done nothing wrong i'm willing to talk to you 
especially if it gets me back my Pathfinder quickly without a lawyer. So he goes into all of this without a lawyer. And then later on, even he is perfectly fine with a polygraph, which he takes. Weirdly, though, I cannot find the polygraph in the case file. In Detective Chavez's notes, it says that it's attached somewhere, but they have either accidentally not put that into the case file or they've taken it out for some reason. At one point, Detective Chavez writes up that Isaac seems confused during it. But again, he's not a you can tell he's a nervous kind of person and he's real like soft. He's just not an articulate dude. So I don't know if 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 he tried to lawyer up in the beginning, though. And then he chose eventually to say, okay, whatever, I'll come take your test. He, yeah. he already knew that was the worst choice. So it gives What do you mean worst choice? He knew he should have asked for a lawyer. For him to say, you know what, whatever, I'll, I'll come answer your questions without a lawyer. Yeah. Has an inherent idea of his innocence to it. You know sure. What I mean? Oh, for like, sure. And he Why be- do that? He knew lawyer was a better option. He chose not to do it. So that's, that he looks be- good on paper. He, you know? It is looks good on paper for him. And he also becomes incredibly compliant. Like he was interviewed two or three times. If he's not articulate, like you're saying. Right. He didn't have some grand scheme. He'd be like, I'm going to make him look like I'm like this. Like he just, right. it, it, it gives confidence to Isaac. He just, like the detectives were like, you know, it, it would be really great if you could talk to us. And I'm sure that would maybe lead to the Pathfinder being released earlier. I don't know if they're using it as sort of like a... Maybe there's something we don't know or something. I don't know. Some some sneakier plan. Yeah, involved. and I'm not saying that... Because why go for Isaac? I don't know. If they never, they if, don't just go for him. I'm about to tell you about Brian. You know what Brian. I'm saying? Like, why Isaac's the least important part of this puzzle? I'm about to tell you about Brian, who's far more interesting in my opinion. But And I also want to make a note right now. Like, I'm not treating this case file, like what the detectives write, as like the Bible. Like, this is one bias, even though people this, people. Is, this is a trained detective, probably years of experience. This is his version of events, what happened to him. He's only got two eyes. It's not his fault. Right, right. But it is very factual and well-written from his point of view. So that's why I'm using it as a chronological thing. Beautiful. So anyway, the detective, Shavi says, um, who would most likely be it? Like out of the three of you, who's got the most opportunity? He wants to stop the interview right there. And he says, I just feel like you're forcing me to point fingers. And I'm like, you should know I'm not putting my life on the line. For, I'm not covering for anybody. I am not going to jail for anybody. But I'm also not going to point fingers at anybody either. And so because it's a non-custodial interview, like he's not under arrest whatsoever. He's able to leave any time. He decides to quit, stop the interview. Which is interesting. Like, he's compliant. He's doing what they're asking. But he's also, like, not going to make all this conjecture and point fingers at people because he's pretty dead set on none of us did anything. We're not the type of guys. Still On paper, that still seems so fair. Yeah. You know? Okay. So now let me tell you about Brian. Okay. Okay. So remember, there's four of them in this. There's Savannah. There's Isaac. Isaac owns the Pathfinder. Isaac is the one who is driving down from... Took Savannah from the bar. Took Savannah from the... bar. They all did. In his car. car. With Brian. Right. So Brian's the other friend, okay? And then David Sparks drives separately, and they're all going to David Sparks' house. So Brian, Isaac, and Savannah Spurlock all go in Isaac's car, Pathfinder, to david sparks's house so brian has the least amount of connection physical connection to any of this case correct who's brian correct but here's what's interesting is that by all three's accounts savannah seemed to latch on to brian the most like she liked him like she and i i hate to say this but like i can kind of see why like after watching his interview keep in mind 
I was not able to see on video David Sparks's interview, but you are able to see the demeanor, the the video, the body language, the inflection, the like visual, he, the visual of Isaac and Brian. Uh, and so Brian, charming son of a yeah, guy. he's charming, like, and he's he's kind of funny, you know, and he's. He's not withholding like he is and he'll fully explain things. He's very articulate, very articulate. So I can kind of see how maybe she latched onto him because he just seems a bit more smooth than the other two. And because of that, like when you look at this case file, the write up or the summary of his interview is three times as long as anyone else's because he's a talker. And so he answered their questions very willingly. And so I think it's best to just read it to you if that's okay. Hit me. Okay. This is the testimony of Bryant. It's not a testimony. He's just in an interview room, willingly doing an interview with the Kentucky State Police. Just real fast. When did this happen? When did Isaac's interview happen after that night? And when did Brian's interview happen after that night? Less than a week, you know? I'm flipping pages here. Isaac's interview happened the 12th and the disappearance happened the 3rd. So So, close to 10 days. Yep. Yep. And then Brian's interview happened the 15th. Three days after Isaac's interview. Right. But keep in mind, this is each of their second interviews. Like they had kind of done like a preliminary one. Like very casual, most likely done. Have you seen Savannah's world? Right, but this was this would have been done by the Richmond Police. See, what I have in front of me is the Kentucky State Police. Yeah. So it's more of like the big boy version, you know. They went to the when, police station. When, exactly. Mm-hmm. They went to what's called Post, which mm-hmm. is like their headquarters. This is way more involved, and it's like you know, I think I'm most likely Richmond Police like called them in, and maybe it was uh, videotaped too, but. It could have been very casual, like next to a car or whatever. Perfect. Okay. okay. So, so, so 10 days after this fateful night, Isaac gives his 11 testimony. Days. 11 days after. And it's not testimony. He's just not in testimony. an interview. Uh, ten, 10 days later, then what does what Brian say? He, so this is non-custodial, which means that um, he didn't have a lawyer. He waived that right. He was Mirandized of it. But he goes in under his own free will. And he says that he worked at Alltech for nearly a year and a half. He worked with David Sparks for a year which is important oh, okay. that they were very close for the most part, like good buddies, like work buddies. Yeah. And then Isaac kind of gets into the fray as well. But Brian and David Sparks were friends first. Okay. Okay. This, this is a summary of what Brian said in Brian's interview quote Thursday night, January 3rd, while at work, David, Isaac and Brian all decided to go out. He stated it was about one thirty on Friday, one thirty AM in the morning when they arrived and went to two keys bar, they didn't want to pay the cover there. Instead, they decided to go to the other bar, which is a bar named the other bar. Once there, Brian claimed they got two rounds of Jack and Coke before they were approached by Savannah Spurlock. Brian claims that she was flirting and very interested in them. He claims that she took his phone, put her number in it and then called herself. As Brian continued, he described that people were dispersing from the bar near closing time and Savannah needed a ride home. David, who was involved in the conversation, stated that he lived in Lancaster and Savannah said that she lived in Richmond. Ultimately, she agreed to go with them to David's place in Lancaster. Brian mentioned that during the walk to the car, he was ahead of the group and David and Isaac were both with Savannah. He went on to say that Savannah kept getting calls from her mom, worried about whether she was going to be drinking and driving. Brian claimed eventually that Spurlock turned her phone off. Brian explained that David drove separate from him, Isaac, and Savannah. 
He told us that he's never been to David's residence before, but put the address in and followed his GPS. Sometime during the drive, Brian claims they stopped on the side of the road to use the restroom. Once they arrived at David's residence, Brian stated that they all continued drinking. He stated that they had about a half bottle of crown apple. He states that David and Savannah took the last four shots and David turned on some music. As Brian described it, they hung out for a short time before Savannah began getting tired. He went on to say that Savannah stated she needed to lay down and as she got up, she stumbled. Brian told me that they helped her to David's bed where she laid down. He told us that he and Isaac left a short time after this, about 4 a.m., and he went home. Brian stated that this was the last thing he heard about the night in question until the following Tuesday. He told me that David called him stating his truck was being shown on the news and that he, Isaac, and Brian were on the news as well. He stated that David told them that he thought that they should go to the police and talk to them, so they did. He discussed for a few moments that he heard Savannah was a mother of four and recently had twins. He stated that he thought there was a chance that she had a breakdown and maybe needed a break. So meaning, so what often happens to women after sometimes when they give birth is they have postpartum depression. She had a breakdown and needed a break. Yeah. Had a breakdown maybe due to postpartum depression. He's, he's speculating here, obviously trying to save his own ass or something. Like, Why would she leave the house and just disappear out of nowhere after this night? Maybe it's because she just, because men trying to speculate on like why women act the way that they do when as a woman who's had children, your hormones are completely out of check or whatever. And so men tend to be like, oh, it's because they're crazy. She's crazy. Exactly. Exactly, which is really messed up. It's our greatest defense. <laughs> it's the only thing we have. I don't know, man. She was crazy. <laughs> yeah, why do y'all do that? I hate it. <laughs> as he finished his summary of the events, this is Brian. As Brian finished his summary of the events, I asked him to describe both David and Isaac and to tell me what kind of people they are. Brian started with David by stating that he had known him for about one year. He stated that he seemed like a good guy, but was very quiet. He told us that David hadn't been out very much. So that's why they invited him out. Essentially, they're like doing him a favor. That's me talking right now. Okay, back to the case. When asked about Isaac, Brian described him as, quote, a big teddy bear. He stated that Isaac was also quiet, but could also act like a big kid. He characterized him as a nice and dependable. Brian stated that he was pretty close with Isaac but closer friends with David. When asked if he was his best friend, Brian said that David probably wasn't his best friend, but that they were close enough for David to sometimes confide in him about issues with family, among other things. So remember, this is the detective writing right now. The detective says, we revisited the night in question when they all left the other bar, and I asked if they planned to go back to David's to have sex with Savannah. Brian stated that that might have been some people's intention, but he claimed it wasn't necessarily planning on it. He described people as pretty sloppy. When asked if the other guys would have been planning on having sex, he told us he didn't think that was the case. I asked him to describe, remember this is the detective, I asked him to describe the residents when they arrived there. Brian did. He told us about the living room and stated that he and Savannah were seated on the love seat, which had a center console. As we continued, we again went over some of the details that he spoke of earlier. He stated that Savannah was wanting to go lay down and then she needed help getting to bed. He stated that the three of them helped Savannah to David's bed where she was passed out. He told us that David was getting sick from having drank too much about the same time or shortly after. He then told us again that he and Isaac left David's residence after putting Savannah in David's bed. Brian and Isaac put Savannah in David's bed. Correct. Yes. Later on, David will also claim to help with that. 
When talking about later in the morning, Brian told us that he decided to text David to see how things went after they left. He told us that this is normal for the guys to text each other after going out the previous night. He stated he texted David and asked him, you good? And David replied eventually that he was, quote, doing good. Brian told me that David described Savannah having come into the living room where he slept on the couch and asked what his address was. He assumed that she was arranging for a ride home and that David claimed he last saw her as she was walking back into his bedroom before he fell back asleep. David told Brian when he woke back up, she was gone. We again revisited some details of his account. We asked about the fact that he saw Savannah place her phone on airplane mode or turn it all the way off. When asked, Brian stated that she put it on while they were in the car and he never saw her turn it off. When talking about Savannah's demeanor that night, Brian stated that she was antagonizing, but in a flirtatious way. He stated that she was flashing her breasts while at the bar, and this continued once at David's residence. When asked about any sexual contact, Brian initially tried to deny this. I specifically asked if anyone touched her, and he stated that she did allow them to touch her while she was dancing around the living room. At this point in the interview, Brian denied any further sexual contact between Savannah and any of the males. We spoke for a few moments longer about the rest of their time there before leaving David's residence. He told us about how he and Isaac left using the rear door that they came in. He also noted that throughout the night, Savannah kept saying how recently she had twins. I asked about her personal effects. Brian stated her phone and her purse were placed in the bed with her. She had left her purse on the couch initially, but they placed it in the bed with her. According to Brian, she was still wearing everything she wore that night when she was placed in the bed. Brian denies any involvement in her disappearance and stated he doesn't think David would do anything, but admits that he was the last person to be with her. Brian claimed that he would not lie for David, but he would not expect any suspicious behavior out of him either. However, admitted that the story is not really making sense. Brian talked again about David as a person and a friend for a while as we progressed. Oh, let me pause right here because I think it's really interesting that they're not putting in here something that really stuck out to me about this interview. What? At one point, the detective goes, I'm just going to ask you, like, is David weird? Is he like a weird guy? And Brian says, yeah, he's a weirdo. This is a direct quote. Quote, oh, yeah, he's a weirdo. Everyone knows that. He's got unorthodox thinking and like everything he does. Certain things he does is different than others. And he's very particular about what he does and how he does it and that he's paranoid. And then they ask him, like, how is he paranoid? What do you mean? And he says, well, like, if you open up his laptop, there's tape over the camera. He thinks like every phone he talks on is tapped. Like he's a paranoid kind of dude. Then they ask him, do you believe him when he says that, you know, there's, I mean, he was the last person to see her a lot. He even admits this. David Sparks says this from day one. Yes, she left my house. Asked me, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Asked me what my address was so she could get an Uber or Frank. She could was okay the last up, time I saw her. You know, so Frank could pick her up or whatever. Goes back into the bedroom. He passes back out on his couch. And then the next thing he knows that she's gone. Right. So he's like, the detectives are like, so Brian, do you really believe that? And he goes after a pause, 70, 30, 70 that I do kind of believe it. And 30% I don't because I'm able to poke holes in his story, but I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. And then wow. he really claims that David said nothing to them afterwards about anything. And then one thing that really gives Brian pause is that David keeps claiming I'm not going to jail no matter what. 
keep saying that no matter what happens, I'm not going to jail. And then they were like, well, what do you think that really means? And Brian says, to, I, I didn't push him on it, but to me it meant something like he's either going to have a standoff and he's going to make them shoot him or he's going to kill himself. David's saying that. No, no, no. Brian, yeah, yeah, Brian is Saint. is assuming that's what David means right. when David says, I'm just not going to jail. It sure seems like Brian is the most socially intelligent of the three. I would agree with that. Knows how to operate in certain circles. Definitely. The, the other two don't. Definitely. Right? Definitely. I mean, he's he was a wealth of information. You know, like the most damning thing you said earlier was, why would any chick put on her airplane mode for any reason at all, at, at, like late at night? Right. Why do that at all? Mm-hmm. And, and then she put on her airplane mode. Why? Well, they claim that it was because the mom was calling her because the mom was concerned. And then like Savannah didn't want to necessarily talk to the mom or something. But a normal person doesn't put on airplane no, mode. They screen they the call. Right? They, exactly. That's, that's a weird explanation. It's a very it's and it's very suspicious. And that happened before they got to the house. You were saying. So, Correct. So that that's not good Correct. for anybody. Yeah. No, <laughs> the phone comes into play later because both Isaac and Brian claim that, you know, Savannah is definitely on the phone at David's house. David claims he's never seen her on the phone. It doesn't exist. So the phone is weird. She definitely has a phone. It it, it is not pinged or not able to be brought up in terms of like where she's at or whatever around the time that she arrives to David's though, because uh, it's off completely. Like so, they're not able to for whatever possible reason. Yeah, they're right not on. able to figure this out. One thing that that would interest me is, um, so obviously Brian's a fairly smart person, pretty clever, understands the ins and outs of certain systems. Right? He knows that Isaac has already given his um, account to the police, even though it was voluntary a few days before. Um, he would clearly, if he's a smart person, even if he's innocent or guilty, doesn't matter. A smart person would go, "Hey, Isaac, let's talk about what you told the police." Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that has to be taken into account as far as the um, consistency of their answers. It could be that they're innocent, or it could be you know that Brian's a pretty smart guy and wanted to get things you know nice and cozy. But if they both agreed that David's weird on record saying, "Oh yeah, David's tinfoil hat lunatic kind of guy," <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go that just, far. Was but... what you just said, right? Like, yeah, he's my friend and all. You don't say that about your friend. Oh, he's got some crazy ideas. He even tapes the webcam of his computer, you know, tinfoil hat crap. That's a leading question to say, look at David. Oh, yeah. So not don't look at Isaac. Look at David, right? That's like the, the, For sure. I so. mean, they, they're they never going to show their hand, so to speak, the detectives, but true. they are absolutely looking at David. I mean, they have, uh, David will, um, actually, his text messages come into play here in a little bit, but he talks about how they have hounded him harassed him they follow him everywhere for the sake of timeline humor me when did they leave the other bar in lexington Kentucky? okay they left the other bar around closing time or a bit after about two thirty. and this is important for anybody who's doesn't live in central kentucky but remember um lexington to richmond is like what 40 minutes yeah give or take give or take Lexington to Lancaster is a bit longer, right? They're both somewhat in the same direction. Like they're both South, right? So Lexington to Lancaster is an hour, but I mean, 50 minutes if you're really booking it late at night when no one's around. Right, right, right. It was probably, it was probably quicker for sure. And now, but keep in mind, it's only a half hour drive between Lancaster and Richmond, Lancaster where David lives, Richmond where Savannah lives. So it, it does make sense that she'd be like, Oh, we're all going to Lancaster. Like that's my hook a girl up with a ride. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm much closer to my house going to yours than I am just staying in Lexington. Right. So that kind of makes sense. So they leave the other bar around two thirty or so. 
they arrive at David's, and by they, I mean Isaac, Brian, and Savannah, at 3.45 a.m., and then video surveillance shows Isaac and Brian leaving at 5.30 a.m. So about an hour and 45 minutes is how long Isaac and Brian are there. On record with that camp from the door. Correct. So Not, perfect record. Yes, a perfect record that shows when they show up and shows when they leave. Objectively, that's not that long. It no, really not really. Not for like a bunch of partying and all that. You, you hear five thirty, right? And you're like, man, they, they were there all that long. Like, but not when they got there at three in the morning. Not or when you're traveling an hour from Lexington just to go party at a little house in Lancaster. It gives credence to Brian and Isaac's account. Next week on the Lexington podcast is like she's just kind of comatose. So they're kind of like, well, she's. She's too drunk. She's too drunk. She's yeah. shit faced. Put her gonna, on a bed or something. Yeah. Like, so they help her in off. and they're going to like leave, right? Yeah. What you would do with any drunk person? Well, then the detectives come back with, oh, okay, but we have recovered some pictures from that night that you sent via Snapchat. Oh, no. That you thought were gone forever, but clearly show. You didn't just put her to bed. Right. Didn't just show an innocent account. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you'd like to vote for us for best local podcast, we would appreciate it more than you know. We've left the link in the show notes, or you can just Google Smiley Pete Publishing Best in Lex. Also, if you'd like to tune into our special on HBO, you can stream that right now. The show is called Seduced to Slay, and it is the season finale of season one. So season one, episode eight, and the episode is titled Three Ring Murder. The Lexington Podcast is written, edited, and produced by Erica Freeze and Jonathan O'Hare in association with Freeze Media. Email us anytime at lexingtonpodcast at gmail.com or catch us on Instagram. And by the way, thanks so much for all the kind emails and messages this past week. It's so nice to know that we have the best listeners in the state. It meant the world to us that you missed us, and we look forward to bringing you more Kentucky content every week. Feels good to be back. <laughs>